Peter Harrod here from the Dynasty Crossroads Show. I hope you can check us out, or actually just me now. Hope you can check me out. Come check me out. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow. Welcome to the DLF Dynasty Podcast with your hosts, Dan Myler, Ryan McDowell, and Matt Price. Yes, it is the DLF Dynasty Podcast. I'm Dan this week. I only got Matt with me riding shotgun. No Ryan McDowell. He's on assignment covering Juju Smith-Schuster and the and landing with the Chiefs, Matt, trying to fall back in love with Juju. Um, I think that's what he's doing anyway. Uh, how you doing, bud? Doing good. I feel like we can let our hair down a little bit, kick up our shoes, relax a little bit. The boss isn't... Uh, you know, sitting here with us so we can be be a little more relaxed today. Yeah, a little more relaxed. I, I think I told you uh, when Ryan said he wasn't going to be around uh, that sometimes the Bucks have to play without Giannis. So <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to carry the load for 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 the star player that's not here. But I think we'll survive. We'll do we'll do just fine. Another great show uh, planned for this week. We got two more rookies to look at in the rookie report. We're debuting a brand new segment that we haven't done just yet. I'm excited about that. And we're going to try to get to a few listener questions. But first, uh, I got something on my mind that we got we to gotta cover here, Matt. The Startup. Yeah, not a lot of real big news this week, Matt. I, I suppose we could have talked about some minor signings that happened over the last six or seven days. Uh, there was a there was a pretty a relatively small trade uh, in the AFC East, but you know apparently Matt, I hate Malik Willis. Did you know that's that's what you told me? I'm pretty sure you like sent me a text message that just said I hate Malik Willis. <laughs> I'd like to see the the evidence, <laughs> the receipts on that one. But you know, a couple weeks ago we did Malik Willis in the rookie report card or uh, the rookie report and. I mentioned that I didn't have him number one overall in my Superflex rankings. Um, and I heard from a couple listeners that that challenged me on it. And they 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 really honestly they didn't like that I was such I was so uh loud vocal about my love for Trey Lance last year. And now this year, Malik Willis, maybe it sounds like I, I don't like him as a player, but Matt, I have him fourth overall in my Superflex rookie rankings, and he's easily my number one quarterback. I, I got to say I'm a little disappointed that our listeners think that that I'm a hater because really I'm not. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I came away with you not liking him so much, but not that you hated him. That feels That feels pretty strong. None of us really want – any of these players to not succeed. You just have the, after you've watched the tape, you go and gone through your process of how you evaluate these players. And uh, you landed on that. He wasn't the one one in Superflex, And, you know, I don't think that's, I, I mean, it's, it, I wouldn't say it's bad or it's shocking or whatever. I mean, I, I've heard plenty of people out in the community say that Brees Hall is the one one even in Superflex. So, um, you know, lots of receivers you could place there. You just feel more comfortable with them. You know, maybe most of your teams are, are already have uh, are already solid at quarterback and you want to add some other ones. So I don't think it's outlandish at all to not have them at one overall. 
Well, I, I, I did have a couple conversations with a couple of these guys that or people, I should say, on Twitter that just challenged me a little bit. Really fun uh, chatting with with our listeners. And there are some some uh, scouts out there, some people that watched Willis and they came with some some really good points about why he he should be valued higher than maybe I do. And, and I think I've said throughout this process that I, I reserve the right to change my mind a little bit, depending on where he lands and, and what coaching staff really inherits Malik Willis. And, you know, and that's really what happened with Trey Lance. If you remember back, and I, I have the receipts on this, so there, there, were, there are multiple episodes where I had Trey Lance as my quarterback, too, and a mid to late first rounder um, at this point last year in rookie rankings – so, so the fact that Malik Willis is at four and is my QB one, I mean, there could be a case made that that actually I have Malik Willis higher right now than I did a year ago on Trey Lance. I didn't I didn't move Lance up to number two overall in my Superflex rookie rankings until after he was taken third overall by the 49ers. In fact, I I remember saying whoever the the 49ers draft at three because I I loved that landing spot and Kyle Shanahan and those weapons so much, whoever they would draft at three would be most likely the guy that was number two in my rookie rankings, of course, behind Lawrence. So I, I saw the tweets, Matt. Um, one of them said, you can't be all in on Lance, but not on Willis. And I think that's really unfair because they are two different prospects and I know they're Agreed. both raw and they, they, they're full of that elite upside but Lance has Kyle Shanahan and already has the extremely high end draft capital. Willis just doesn't have that yet. So I'm factoring that in, Matt. I, I, I'm sure you factored that in as well. You still landed on him being that number one quarterback and the number one overall prospect in Superflex. Talk to me, talk, talk me out of my stance, I guess, that that because Willis doesn't have that stuff yet, I'm just I'm just holding back a little bit. Well, well, I think the argument for Willis at one is just it, it's it's a pretty easy one. It's just the upside of the combination of a of a cannon for an arm, you know, potentially the strongest arm based on what he did at the senior bowl in terms of you know testing the the, the hardness or however you want to phrase that of his throw it. It was like 75 miles an hour broke uh, Josh Allen's rest record in that regard. Then of course the rushing upside. And you know, we talked about him as he's not the he's not a rusher like you're gonna you're gonna see from Lamar Jackson. He's closer to a uh, Jalen Hurts. He's more of a power runner. He's a he's a if you if you had to change him to the running back position, he would be a power power running back, right? Um, so that's really the upside with him. The downside though is that he doesn't have he he has those accuracy issues. He he holds the ball on, ball way too long. Uh, so I mean, I have him one. But I could see a certain teams that I have where I have three or four very good quarterbacks already where I want to just add another piece somewhere else if I was lucky enough to have have the 101. So I completely understand it. But I do think just based on the upside and what happens to those kinds of players uh, in super flex formats, you know, you what does it cost to go get Lamar Jackson right now? I guess less than it maybe it did last year, but I still I, I would I would argue it's probably still at least three first round picks. So it's almost like in, in some ways if you draft that guy and he hits you, you are, you're, you're basically tripling your money. Right. So, right. and I'm not sure that's the same, the same at the other positions. It's not going to happen at wide receiver. I mean, is there a wide receiver right now 
outside of Chase and Jefferson, maybe that you're going to pay two more than two first round picks for. I don't really think so. The same at running back, uh, Jonathan Taylor. I mean, maybe you can argue two and a half first, something like that, but I don't think anybody's necessarily shelling out three firsts for him. So I think it's just that value argument and that tantalizing upside. The, the downside though, is that he does have those accuracy questions. And we saw that with Josh Allen and Josh Allen is the ultimate outlier. You know, in, in general, accuracy issues as bad as Josh Allen was. I think it was a 56 percent career passer uh, in, in college and also in his first two years as a pro. And then he had a, had that big turnaround this season. Um, so that typically uh, doesn't go away. It doesn't. Right? It doesn't. It, the accuracy issues generally don't get fixed. He was slightly better than Allen at just over 60 percent passing uh, efficiency in college. But it's not that much more be- better than Allen was. So if Allen never happened, uh, I saw someone on Twitter today. I can't remember who it was, unfortunately. But they said basically said if Josh Allen had never happened, we wouldn't even be having this conversation about Malik Willis. And I think that's fair. Another quote from a tweet that I got said, how can you have that much faith in Kyle Shanahan with quarterbacks when he gave Jimmy G the biggest contract in NFL history at one point? Honestly, I, I kind of shook my <laughs> head at that one. You know, Garoppolo isn't all that bad as an NFL quarterback. We tend to dislike him because his fantasy upside is limited. So, But as far as the NFL is concerned, coaches and GMs, He's a solid starter, and he led his team to multiple championship games and a Super Bowl in in the last three years. So, you know, when he got that contract, Matt, he was he was coming off that great audition, right? That those six games or whatever it was with San Francisco after the trade, and San Francisco had to give him that contract. They didn't have a choice because he showed that upside, and and he hasn't really lived up to that. There's been a couple injuries. I still think he's a top 25 quarterback in the league, maybe even a top 20 or 18 quarterback in the league. And in that situation, if he was healthy throughout these last few years, maybe his fantasy um, fantasy output is better. But to make an argument that, that, you know, the success or the failure of Garoppolo has anything to do with, with your feelings towards Trey Lance or Malik Willis is a little bit asinine to me. And I've seen that on tweets from, from multiple people. And I just shake my head really to that, you know, really the, the situation in San Francisco with Lance and Garoppolo has shouldn't have anything to do with how people feel about Malik Willis. Well, and especially if you're talking about just the contract, we know that quarterbacks are expensive. And when you need one, you pay you pay what the price is to get them. It, the, the, the price of a quarterback, starting quarterback in the NFL, escalates every single season. You know, just because he got paid more than, you know, Aaron Rodgers or, or, or Patrick Mahomes or whoever you want to throw out there at the time doesn't really mean anything. Those players were under contract. They weren't, get, weren't up for a new contract. Garoppolo was up for a new contract. And if San Francisco wasn't going to pay them, you know, somebody was. So, uh, and they didn't really have any other options at that point. So uh, I agree with you. That's not a reason to uh, come at you <laughs> over this and saying that, that that's why uh, uh, Trey Lance was in such a good situation or, or why Kyle Shanahan such a, has such a good record with quarterbacks to say that they gave Jimmy G a contract. That's not really a reason to, that, that doesn't really have any bearing on the situation at all. I would argue. I could make an argument right now that Garoppolo is actually underpaid going into this final sure. season uh, of that contract. They're not going to just dump him. They're, they're, it might be messy, but that has nothing to do with Malik Willis. The last one I wanted to bring up here uh, from another um, listener that that 
was pretty passionate about Malik Willis. He said Willis has better tools, and he meant physical tools, than Lance and played more at Liberty than Lance at NDSU, which, which is true. He did play more games. Of course, Lance is known as the guy who only had 15 college starts and then sat for for a year because of COVID and then sat as a rookie for most of his rookie year, year as well. And, and Willis at Liberty started for those two full seasons and, and had those 23 starts um, at a lower, lower, in a lower conference than, than maybe some of the quarterbacks that come up, come have come out recently. My, my argument against that, and it's really not against that because again, I don't hate Malik Willis and I do like Lance. But it, it's not like they're they're that far apart in my overall rankings among quarterbacks at this point. Yeah. Lance functioned as a playmaker inside of a pro-style offense at NDSU. While Willis, he was a little bit more of an off-schedule playmaker. And you mentioned that he's that power runner. He liked to hold onto the ball, hold onto the ball, look for the big play, and then run, make a play with his legs. And that is what, what has him oozing with upside in, for our fantasy game. I love that part about him, but there are problems inside of that, that you hold onto the ball that long. You're playing against better competition and and you have to make faster reads. And he hasn't proven yet that he can do that. Maybe he will at some point, you know, both these guys, Lance and, and Willis, they're both extremely raw and they have all that upside dripping with upside because of the athleticism and the arm strength. Lance though, he proved that he can lead an offense as it's designed to be led in my opinion, a pro style offense at NDSU, he made the, made the calls at the line of scrimmage. He made all the checks and, and he changed the protections that proved a lot to me. Willis is a little bit more of a gunslinger. He hasn't, at least to my knowledge, done those types of things. So he's just a notch below. I, I'm not making an argument that Lance should be the number one pick in, in dynasty startups or anything like that. They're relatively close right now. And depending on where, Willis goes where where if he lands in that great situation and he gets the excellent coach, which I think Lance has, he gets the weapons that Lance already has, he gets the draft capital. I I could see moving Willis above Lance in my overall quarterback rankings. But and, Matt, and is I, there even a spot like that available in this draft? Well, I was just before I answer that, I was just gonna say, I mean, one of the reasons why we liked Lance, and I, I know you for a fact. Uh, liked him so much was that fit you know fit was so important if he had gone to i don't know throw out anything any other any other team you want uh that that was looking for a quarterback last season whether it was new england or or uh carolina i guess after they they, they decided not to after acquiring darnold but any of those other teams like it, it may, we probably wouldn't have had him at two overall so it right. really was that that combination of the fit the fact that we knew he was uh, I guess, I guess no is a strong word, but we were pretty sure he was going to sit the majority of the season and really learn to be a, a pro and learn that offense uh, to a T. Um, but for this, this season, you're right. Like the, the, the situations are, are potentially not as good. There are two that really stand out to me uh, that could make him, you know, elevate him to maybe, to, maybe in your eyes, elevate him to the one Oh one. And one of them is Pittsburgh at, at 20th overall. And we, we, we've seen it all over the place. We've seen him making it there in different mock drafts. We've seen him, uh, you know, getting selected as early as two overall to the lions and other, other mock drafts. And he gets that one Oh two capital. Then, you know, maybe there's an argument there too. I might argue that's not as good of a spot. And then the other one is, um, is Seattle uh, because they've got, what Drew Locke and Jacob Eason, and it, they're certainly looking for a starting quarterback. And and he may not start right away there either. 
uh, just like in Pittsburgh, he might not start away right away with, with Mitchell Trubisky there. Um, but I think he has a better shot to start in those two locations and, and could have better success with the coaching that's in place there. In Seattle, we know they want to run the ball. That's not going away. Carroll has not gone anywhere. So if they're going to just have a run-based offense where he hands off to one of those t- uh, two or three running backs and, and then is also running a lot himself, you know, that could be a very good fit for him, at least in terms of his dynasty production and, 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 and value. Uh, maybe not necessarily for his development as a passer. We'll have to see there. But, you know, obviously good weapons there, too. So if, if he's going to land somewhere that would lock him in as the 101 for me, uh, I mean, I do have him as the 101, but it's certainly not locked in if he goes to a bad spot, whether it's a bad organization or whether it's a place where it looks like he's not going to be starting for any way uh, anytime soon. But if he does go to some place like Seattle or to Pittsburgh, I do think that he's, he's probably worth that pick. You're, you're right. Those are the two spots, especially Pittsburgh. I really like Pittsburgh um, as a as a landing spot because I trust that coaching staff. And even though they're, they don't have a general manager in place already, you have a feeling of a, this warm, cozy, cozy feeling with that Pittsburgh front office because they have a history of sticking with their guys, both their head coach and their and their quarterbacks, giving those guys t- time to develop. I really like that line dig spot. If it's down there at 20, he doesn't exactly have that elite draft capital attached to him, but I think the landing spot alone is enough to, to elevate his value considerably. I like Seattle a little bit, and I think they're at nine in the draft, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so the draft capital and everything lines up. I, I'm not 100% convinced about that coaching staff and using him correctly to all of his strengths. We saw what they did with Russell right. Wilson, and they really muffled um, him. It, you know, that that's not an ideal landing spot. Last thing I wanted to say about this, because the 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 mocking Willis to to Detroit at number two is really popular. If Trey Lance would have landed in Detroit a year ago, there's no way he's the number two pick in, in Superflex drafts last year. The weapons weren't there. We we had questions about the coaching staff and just just the franchise in general. There, there are so many red flags with everything that's happened in Detroit over the last few years. If if Willis ends up in Detroit, even at that number two draft capital, and, and I like the direction they're heading, I'm not convinced that that's enough to make him the number one pick in Superflex drafts everywhere. I was I was just I was just thinking that um you know I do like what they're doing there and the offense is looking mm-hmm. is is looking much better. The offensive line is I would say is good. It's 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 not just like an average offensive line. I would say it's better than average. Um, you know, obviously the receivers are, are starting to fall into place. Say what you will about DJ Chark, but I'm sure they're going to add another weapon there in the receiving game this season. You'll have Hawkinson coming back healthy. And then of course, uh, DeAndre Swift out of the backfield. So the, I think the offense really is shaping up and we like the coaching staff there. So 102 overall, plus that situation, I, I would assume that unless Goff completely implodes, he's would, that would be a situation where Willis is going to sit for a while. And I think that's totally fine. So if you have the 101 and you're will and, and you're not competing, which you know mo- I would say most people who have the 101 probably aren't competing in 2022, uh, then the 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 fact that he might sit shouldn't really deter you from uh, from from taking him there because that value will bounce back even if he does sit for the whole year, like we've seen with Lance, for example. And for the record, we we still need to get the the draft capital and the landing spots for these other guys that yeah, we're considering at absolutely. the top of the top of the draft. If Brees Hall were to find his way into a spot where, where we're not in love with that will affect things. So, so there's a lot of moving and shaking to go on. I thought it was a good week to really revisit the Malik Willis conversation 
Um, I did. I didn't feel attacked or anything like that. I know there are other people <laughs> that don't have Willis at, at at number one overall in superflex rankings. There's even others that think there's another quarterback that might be at number one in this class. Still, there's a few of them hanging around. So we're gonna see how this all plays out. It's a fun conversation, and one we'll we'll definitely have throughout the rest of this off season and as the draft approaches and even after. Uh, what do you say, Matt? You wanna you wanna debut a new segment on the show? Yeah, let's do it. Dynasty Doppelganger. Yeah, it kind of rolls off the tongue just a little bit. Dynasty Doppelganger. This is going to be a fun one that we can do a lot of different things with uh, in the coming weeks and months. Maybe after the draft, we'll play with the Dynasty Doppelganger of of these rookies and landing spots, and, and we'll try to compare them to a veteran. For now, though, we thought we'd debate some equally valued dynasty assets, Matt. And you and I were looking through ADP before the show. There's three guys right at 51.67 in in ADP, and they play three different positions. This is going to be a fun exercise. It's Keenan Allen, wide receiver for the Chargers, TJ Hawkinson, tight end for Detroit, and then Elijah Mitchell, running back from San Francisco. So three players with the exact same ADP, Matt, they all play different positions and they're all kind of at different spots in their careers. It, it, it's a fun exercise because we can debate them from a startup perspective, maybe a trade market perspective. Uh, when you look at these three players, just instant reaction, who do you see as the most valuable asset? Uh, you know, like with everything in Dynasty, you have to say it depends. But if we're looking strictly at like a startup scenario and you're on the clock and these are the for some reason, these are the only three players that are available to you. I think you have to go Hawkinson here just based on age and and production and scarcity at that position. My heart definitely says Keenan Allen. But, you know, <laughs> at, at that point in the draft, I, I'm, I'm I've been, you know, kind of coming over to the McDowell way of thinking I don't want to take declining assets at that point in the draft. Uh, yet. So I'm probably not taking him in a startup at that point. Uh, and then Elijah Mitchell, I, I feel similarly about, you know, not not the same position and certainly not the same age as Keenan Allen. But uh, I mean, as, as good as he was last season, he had issues staying healthy. He was he not, not necessarily came out of nowhere, but didn't have the draft capital that some of these other guys do. And then maybe that doesn't matter anymore now that he's a starter, but it's still that San Francisco rushing attack. They're still going to have multiple backs involved. Trey Sermon's going to be healthy again. You know, they draft a running back every single year. Jamichael hasty, I think is still hanging around. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm probably not going to take a swing on Mitchell either. So unless I already have Kyle Pitts, which knowing me, you know, I probably do. And I'm at that point in the draft, it's gotta be Hawkinson. If it's a, just speaking strictly from a startup scenario. I had a similar feeling that Hawkinson feels like the guy that I would be most likely to invest in, um, especially in a startup, because usually I'm not in, in that tier of running backs. Other guys right around Elijah Mitchell uh, include Aaron Jones and Ezekiel Elliott, the, the next two uh, after him. And then in front of him, rookie Isaiah Spiller and David Montgomery. I'm, I'm not necessarily jumping into that tier of running back. And if I did, I think I would invest in Aaron Jones, who who comes off the board just a few picks later. Uh, with Hawkinson, he's a guy, especially in startups, Matt, where if you do miss out on those top few names at the tight end position, he's a guy that if he's in the Lions starting lineup, you, you're just going to click the button, click the box next to his name and put him in your starting lineup every single week because of the upside 
that he has shown in spurts and and I guess all of the potential that he had coming into the league. So I agree with you. It's probably Hawkinson. I, I do. If I look at it from a trade standpoint, though, Keenan Allen, who's 29 years old, is a guy that I'm targeting right now because he feels like the guy that's got a couple years left. He's in an offense already that I, I really, really like and I, of course, want pieces of. And he's a guy that, especially this time of year, has lost some value. He, people are, are trying to move on from him because they see that age 30 season coming. They're ready to move on, get a draft pick or a younger player on their roster. You might be able to take advantage, grab him as your wide receiver two or wide receiver three, and he's going to put up solid wide receiver two numbers for the next couple of years. Yeah, and from a from a, a trade standpoint, you you want to be the one acquiring him. You probably, unless you're just in dire straits and are just completely blowing up your team, don't want to be moving Keenan Allen right now. Uh, you know, if you can, if, if you're looking to get in, get more, acquire more picks in in this year's draft, then I understand it. If otherwise, you're you're obviously going to want to wait till we get closer to that season. And he will be in his age 30 season. But we see time and time again these 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 players that are just that have that old man game, and now they're actually old man game. He's actually an old man, right? Now he's got that savvy route running ability. He's going to be open. He's got the elite quarterback. He's got a good offense around him. So he's going to be productive for I would say at least two two more seasons. So if you can if you can pry him away from somebody for for a late first early second that definitely seems like like the move there if you were to try to trade any of these players for the other one though um i did look up uh their value the current values in our trade analyzer we've got keenan allen actually coming in at second with three at 345 hawkinson is the lowest valued at 326.6 and then mitchell is the highest valued at 348 but they're all they're all in the range there there's a there's a margin of error within the trade analyzer if you're within you know 30 to 50 points uh, sometimes more than that then it feels like it's basically like equal so i would consider these guys mostly equal but if you were to do like a buy sell hold uh kind of uh exercise with these guys dan what would you go there where would you go there uh i'm gonna i'm gonna buy keenan allen because i'm gonna try to contend in the short term i'm gonna sell elijah mitchell because of what you mentioned about that san francisco backfield they like to move those guys in and out just a little bit and that draft equity does stick in the back of my mind and I'll hold TJ Hawkinson as my my mid to low end tight end one with tight with high end tight end one upside still. Yeah, I, I think that would go exactly the same way. I got, actually have no argument there. If uh, if you're on the clock in your startup and and you know just in a vacuum, you said it's TJ Hawkinson. It most likely it's TJ Hawkinson. But if if you're if your build went with a tight end early, one of those guys like Pitts, and you're considering Allen versus Mitchell, and you maybe have one of each, or, or maybe you're at two wide receivers and one running back already, which way are you leaning on that one? Are you willing to to take the dive on the older wide receiver, or would you prefer that that younger running back? That that one's that one's really tough. Like if I if, if I am building if at this point in the draft, I probably have some idea of which direction this team is going to go in year one. Uh, and if I if I am if I am competing, I think it's definitely Keenan Allen. If I already know I'm punting, man, I don't think I guess if if it's these three players specifically, I guess I would have to take Mitchell in that specific scenario. But honestly, I would probably just go for a young younger wide receiver if there was one out there. I think Amon yeah, Ross St. Guys, Brown is in the same range, for example. Right. Yeah, he's in the same range. And then you get into the veteran DeAndre Hopkins, Cortland Sutton's in there, Hollywood Brown. 
Brandon Ayuk and the list kind of goes on and on from there. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'd probably be pivoting to another position. It is really intriguing though, when there's three guys with the exact same ADP, uh, it's fun to to battle battle it out and try to figure out who has the most value in dynasty leagues. Before we get to our rookie report, and we got a couple really fun receivers to talk about this week, uh, Matt, we should talk about our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. They uh, are the daily fantasy sports site built for the rest of us. Instead of competing against professional players, Monkey Knife Fight is made for the average fan to have a chance at winning. Monkey Knife Fight offers the ability to play a wide variety of fantasy contests, including their popular more or less games, allowing you to simply pick if a player is going to score more or less than his given line. In addition to the usual games for football, baseball, basketball, and hockey, you can also play contests in golf, soccer, NASCAR, UFC, esports, and more. Not only can you play these fun, unique games, but if you sign up at DynastyLeagueFootball.com, you'll get a full year of DLF premium for free. Simply log on to our site, click the banner image for Monkey Knife Fight and create a new account with an initial deposit and Monkey Knife Fight will match that deposit up to $100 and your DLF sub will be set up automatically within 36 hours. What are you waiting for? Go sign up today. It's time for the Rookie Report. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Let's talk about some rookie wide receivers. We're going to hit a tear break, I would say, here pretty soon with the guys that we've talked about, Matt. We're on to some potential wide receiver ones that are that are first-round considerations in the NFL draft. They're certainly first-round considerations in rookie uh, drafts that are upcoming as well. It's Chris Olave out of Ohio State. And one of our guys, Matt, George Pickens out of Georgia, we'll save him for the second half of this conversation. Let's start with Olave, 6'1", 188, out of Ohio State, made a lot of big plays for for that group down there at Ohio State. Um, I'll, I'll let you lead us off on what you love the most about Olave, but why don't you start with where he stacks up with the rest of these wide receivers? Yeah, I, th- I think he – it depends on how you want to break them up. I can see an argument for having a few guys above the rest, and I, I kind of have Garrett Wilson and Traylon Burks above the rest right now, and then the next five guys are kind of all in, in, in the same tier for me, and that includes both of the receivers we're going to talk about uh, today. So for Olave, you know – I'll start off with the concerns first. Uh, the concerns for him are, are number one is is it's not an early declare. We like these guys to be early declare. Uh, they, there has to be some good reason for them to come back for their senior season. And I guess for him is he wanted to go back and try to win a national title. I understand that. But honestly, I think he, he hurt his, his draft stock a little bit by doing that, not just because he didn't declare early, but because it's it felt like he got passed up by – uh, both other receivers on the depth chart uh, by coming back. He was, he was, I think you could call him for sure the one in 2020, but in 2021, I think not only Garrett Wilson, but uh, the sophomore and Jibba uh, also uh, uh, passed him up. So it's not to say he's not a, a, a good prospect. It just, I, I just think maybe that means he's not an elite prospect. Obviously the talent uh, at the wide receiver position at Ohio state is immense, um, but to see him kind of fall back to the pack, maybe even become the third option in 2021 is a little bit of a negative 
negative for me. That said, he did increase his receptions year over year at all four years. Um, his, his yardage went up. He has two, two seasons of double digit touchdowns. He, he's a polished route runner. Um, so I like him just fine. I just think he's probably a very good player in prospect and maybe not the elite prospect that maybe those top two guys are. Hmm. I, I have a hard time differentiating this group. There, there's things to like about every single one of them. And Alave with him, it, it feels like his strengths are, are the shallow cross, the option route underneath, and then that downfield playmaker that, that takes the top off the defense with that, that great speed that he showed at the combine. Uh, so really he's, he's a route runner that works all three levels, right, Matt? He can, he can play all over the field. Um, and, and he's, you know, as a route runner, I would say his biggest strength is he's patient. He's got a little bit of that Devonte Adams feel when he's, when he's at the top of a route, he'll, he'll take his time on that jab step to break to the outside, especially in the red zone, which is, which isn't really all that common with college receivers when they're down by the, the, the goal line, they, they really like to get into that break so they can make the play and score the touchdown and all those things. They, they don't have that patience. Olave really, really does. When, when I thing, come to Nick, go ahead. No, no, go, no, continue. When, when he's so, so that, that patience and that ability to make plays uh, along the boundary, especially um, yep. and then close to the line of scrimmage with that, that option route, that that tends to lead to to you thinking he could play anywhere. He could be an inside slot. He could play on the on the outside. Um, I'm wondering where you think his biggest strength is as far as where to line up, and then and then what kind of plays down the field he's going to make at the next level. I think his best best route is is a, is a double move. He can just like Garrett Wilson. He's got a double yeah. move that is, is well. Ohio extremely... State loves that with all their receivers, right? They, they exactly. Like to showcase that. Exactly. He's a great hand catcher away from the body. And like, I do think he makes those sideline play. He used the sideline really, really well. So I think he's going to have to line on the out, up on the outside, not as the one, maybe not as the pro, pro, pro typical X, but as that flanker um, that can do some damage uh, when defensive uh, coverage has, has gone a different way. I do think in, in terms of if we're going to compare him to Garrett Wilson, I think he tracks the ball a little bit down a better downfield. Uh, better than Garrett Wilson does, but I, he's definitely not the contested catch uh, re- receiver that Garrett Wilson did. And you mentioned his routes. Uh, I, I think he's fantastic against man coverage, uh, especially off of the line. Um, but I, it doesn't seem like in, in, in zone coverage, he reads them as well. Sometimes even on those breaking routes, it's, you see him breaking towards coverage instead of away, away from it, which is going to be a big problem, you know, in this, this too high safety defensive scheme kind of era that we're in in the NFL right now. Uh, and then one, one note I wrote down about uh, his in and out breaking routes is that they're inconsistent. And sometimes they look about as sharp as a circle. Yeah, he like he, he rounds them off. Round them off. Yeah, I, I wonder, Matt, if sometimes those rounded off routes are when he's not the primary. If he if he gets lazy at the top of that Could route, be. I kind of got that feeling. I saw it regularly when the ball wasn't coming, and only a few times when the ball came, and then all of a sudden sure. he perked up and you know he came back to the ball and things like that. Um, when it comes to on field negatives or, or maybe weaknesses, maybe that's even a strong too strong of a word as well. He, you, you alluded to it there. He's not physical. He's not a, yeah. he's not going to body somebody up and out rebound you for an above the rim 
touchdown grab in, in the red zone or anything like that. In fact, I would say he's he doesn't like contact at the catch point. He he gets he gets the short arms when there's guys around him and he wants to bring the ball in and, and kind of tuck and protect himself. So he's not going to be that that guy that takes the hit over the middle on third down to get the, that third and six on a seven yard route. Um, but he more than makes up for that as that downfield threat and as that guy who can catch it underneath and get a little bit of rack yardage. Yeah, and I mean, other than just a few details, like him and Garrett Wilson are very are very similar. They're both very fast. Uh, a lot of their their advanced metrics are are, are similar. Their a lot of production is, is metrics are pretty similar. I just think the the where where Wilson has that edge is in those contested catch balls, uh, and uh, and then like I said, uh, Olave I think has him. Uh, in terms of tracking the ball. Um, the, some other negatives I did notice, you know, sometimes he does have that, a little bit of a double catch. Uh, sometimes he throws up those hands too early and, gives, and clues off the defender. But some, most of the times it doesn't matter because he's, uh, he's already run by them at that point. Um, so, I mean, I, I would call him pretty close to a complete receiver as you can uh, very good out on the sidelines with getting those two feet in bounds. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of receivers you see in college, don't worry, don't, don't bother like getting that second feet down because they, they don't have to. Right. So uh, it's nice to see a guy like Olave like always kind of concentrate that and show that off uh, while he's working the sideline. For reference, I have Chris Olave at five in my rookie rankings. Um, non non-super flex rankings, one quarterback rankings. Uh, he's my fourth wide receiver though. I have Burks, Drake London, and Garrett Wilson over him. Um, I think this wide receiver class is so good. It, it goes, it goes uh, six deep with really strong options in my opinion, including the next guy we need to talk about. And that is George Pickens. Uh, Matt, we've, we've mentioned his name just a couple of times on the podcast and both times, both of us say how much we like him, like his game. Of course, coming off the injury, there's there's some th- there's some slight red flags when it comes to that. But 6'3", 200 pounds, out of Georgia, made so many big plays down there at Georgia. And now he's transitioning to the NFL. It appears he might be a late first round NFL draft pick, but more than likely uh, early day two pick. What are your thoughts about the biggest strengths about Pickens and why do you like him so much? Pickens is is my favorite receiver in this class. There's a lot of guys that I like, but Pickens I just I just there's something about the way he plays. He's a uh, I, this isn't really necessarily important for fantasy, but you see him go out there and embrace the physicality of the game, especially mm-hmm. in the run game. He just like chases down defenders who almost look like they don't expect, <laughs> expect him to be out there. Um, I, I don't know if you would agree with this, but it feels like he probably singly, single-handedly created an NFL job for Jake Fromm. Uh, I think he's still kicking around the league and it's probably because of what George Pickens did, especially in his freshman year uh, when he, he, he has, I think at the earliest breakout age in this class at 18 and a half years old. Um, So you love that. He, I think he, I mean, I think the floor is certainly low, but I think he might have the the highest ceiling in this class as a six, three kind of prototypical X receiver. Um, Gosh, he just does so many things well in terms of like reading the defense. Like if it feels like he, uh, and again, I'm not in his brain. I'm not in the, the the Georgia's offense brain, the scheme or any of that kind of stuff. But it feels like when I watch him that he 
kind of judges what he wants to do down the field by how much cushion the 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 defense is giving him. If he if if he feels like he can beat him over the top with speed, he can do that. If he feels like he needs to break off a, a route early to catch a make an underneath uh, a catch, he does that too. Uh, so reading reading the the that defense uh, is is my favorite part of this game. But I mean, there's lots more we can talk about. My favorite. Um, thing to look for when I watch a wide receiver is that killer instinct. The ball yep, is in the air. Go get it. That is my ball. Nobody else is touching that thing. And he has it as much as any or as much or more as any of these prospects. Like I mentioned, 6'3", 200, and, and that toughness and that grittiness at the catch point is what you want on slants. It's what you want on the fade at the goal line. And us as fantasy managers and dynasty owners, we we want those big plays. We want, we need a touchdown. You know, we, we want him to score. So not only is he going to jump over the guy, but then he's going to stiff arm the safety and, and go score off of it. So he, he has, I like what you said there. He profiles with the upside to be a true number one receiver as an NFL receiver, which translates to a, a number one in, I think he has wide receiver one potential for, for fantasy, Matt. Would you say that's fair? Oh, absolutely. I th- I think if he had not gotten injured and was able to show off this, this this entire season, he might be we might be talking about him as the number one receiver in this class, or at least in the same conversation as Wilson and, and Burks. I really like how you see him do a little bit of everything. You see him run those crossers, catch the ball, and get the yak. You see him on the whip route, even underneath to catch that third and three that they need. You see him down the field on fades and straight go routes, the deep dig. He made look so easy against big competition. Uh, There was a play against Alabama where he took his time, broke off that route and caught it with the safety bearing, bearing down him on him bounced off and got 10 yards after yeah. the, the big hit. And, and that's the best competition that he's going to play against. Plus he played against that elite defense every single week in call in, in practice as well from Georgia. And, and that coaching staff raves about his physicality. He's a great teammate, all those things. And I, I just see that all transferring to the next level and him becoming that alpha receiver for an NFL team, um, like so many of these guys that we see, these big-bodied receivers that that have just enough speed to take the top off the defense as well, he profiles as that maybe even that Julio Jones type receiver, um, and that's that, those are big shoes to fill and everything. But I I think he can be that type of guy. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. He's he's not like I said. He's my favorite. I think he does pretty much everything well, but he does have a couple of negatives. Um, for me, it's you know a few drops here and there, maybe more than we, we would necessarily like to see. But I don't think most of us really factor that into too much in, in terms of fantasy. Like the the players that get the most volume have the potential to have the most drops. Uh, whatever it's a uh, whether it's a, a misplacement of the hands or just a concentration drop or whatever, it's it's going to happen. So that doesn't really bother me all that much but if you want to ding him for something you could uh his lateral agility isn't isn't doesn't really seem to be you know elite and uh, or maybe even you know excellent however you want to whatever adjective you want to throw out there i would wish we would have seen him run the three cone drill but he probably knew he wasn't going to test super well on that so that's probably why which is, is smart and then and this, this is is something that i like to see but can have some negatives to it i think he's got so much swag on the field he likes to talk to those defenders mm-hmm. 
-hmm. get in their face. I mean, I don't know how that's going to necessarily translate. I don't see that as a weakness. <laughs> I think it's fun. I like to see it. Maybe he gets suspended. Maybe he gets, maybe he throws a punch here and there. And, you know, it just depends on how you want to look at it from a mental standpoint. I think he is mentally strong and that stuff is not going to be a problem for him, but it's just something I did notice uh, while watching a bunch of his games. So confident. He is yeah. so confident on the field, Matt. Uh, we're both Packer fans, of course, and he just he just looks like a Packers receiver. I would love to see him in green and gold. If the Packers fill the fill in the blank here, if the Packers pick him in the NFL draft, he will be picked at blank in single quarter pick blank in single quarterback rookie drafts. One hundred four, one Oh three, one Oh four, something in there, right in there. I would say one right in there. I was going to say and, one or two receivers, or maybe five. Yep. Yeah. Oh man. I love it. He's got to end up in Green Bay. Go Pat, go! <laughs> Let's move on to the, uh, to some questions. Matt, we got some from our listeners. Let's hear from the listeners. It's time for the question of the week. Yeah, we got a bunch of good questions from our listeners this week, and we're going to try to knock out as many as we can here in the time that we have. First one, Matt, this comes from Mike. Uh, Joe Mixon coming off his best year, not quite old yet, old in quotation marks, of course. Uh, in an up and coming offense, what is his value and should we trade or hold him? Um, he goes on and on after that, but it's a really good question because he's right now at 22 overall in our ADP, running back nine. So solid running back one. The expectation is that he's going to hold that value and put up those types of numbers for at least the next couple of seasons, maybe even beyond that. He's the type of runner that takes takes a, takes a lot of shots. He's a physical guy. What are your thoughts of him moving forward? Because personally, I feel just fine with Joe Mixon as my running back one on a contender. Yeah, I, I feel fine with him too. I, it was a little bit... Uh, maybe not a shock, but it was a little bit concerning that he seeded, you know, more work than I, at least I thought he would to Samaj P. Ryan. I, I was of the opinion that, okay, Gio's out of here. This is the mix and show. He's going to get all the targets, all the carries. And that just, just really didn't happen, especially from the, the pass catching standpoint. I don't, I don't have the numbers pulled in front of me, but I don't believe it was that much of an increase uh, over the previous season. Um, so if I have a, have him on a contender, I'm happy to hold him. I don't think I'm buying him unless I can get him for that mid to late first round pick. Um, and I'm not sure that's that's going to be enough. I do see one trade in the trade finder right now that happened a, uh, a few days ago. Um, 104 straight up for him in a super flex league. I probably would prefer the 104 in that situation. But if I can get him somewhere like the 108 to 112, somewhere in that range, uh, I would I would definitely jump on that. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that's gonna that's gonna get the job done. No, um, maybe you can get him for the first and and you know throw in that late second as well, and that might prospect get it done. Or, but, something. Uh, or a prospect, a young guy that hasn't proven it just yet. I'm I'm willing to go get him if if that price is right. Like I said, I I really like him as your running back one. If you can somehow get him on your roster and make him your second running back, if you already have that elite guy to pair with him. Um, that makes you the type of contender where you're expecting to be uh, contending for a championship that season. So those are the types of moves we typically like to make. Um, get that running back as the last piece to go win a title. I have I have running back one expectations in 2022 and 2023 most likely, um, and maybe as high as as one of the top three scoring running backs in the league in that offense. They're they're addressing that offensive line. 
it is it is frustrating that he's losing those opportunities as a pass catcher because that is a strength of his. We'll see if that continues to play out that way in Cincinnati. Next question, Matt, from Otter Heels 3 at Otter Heels 3 on Twitter. This is a this is an interesting one. Elijah Mitchell versus Melvin Gordon. That's the whole context of the tweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so clearly, if you're if you're trying to get the most valuable valuable player, it's Elijah Mitchell by quite a ways. Mitchell at 54 in our ADP, running back 22. Gordon all the way down there at 124, at running back 41. So if we're talking about a trade, it's it's clearly Elijah Mitchell. But as far as maybe their their on field game, these two players and how they compare to one another. I think there might be a little bit of a case to be made that Mitchell is on that same trajectory as Melvin Gordon was coming off his rookie season, considering the offense, the the way they're used in that offense. What are your thoughts on, on this one? I think it's Mitchell in basically any scenario. I mean, does Gordon really, does he even have a job? I don't think he has a, even has a job yet, does he? So if he, goes, yeah. if he goes back to Denver, I think he's clearly behind Javante at this point. I know we said that last year too, but I think, I think at this point we can, we could say that there's a few, I think there's a couple of spots where he could land. Like if he went to Atlanta, for example, I'd be pretty excited about Gordon, bad team, but you know, I feel like he would get basically everything and maybe uh, Patterson would go back to more of a receiver role, which I think is what we want to see anyway. Um, trying to think of a few other spots. Like he would be really interesting in like New England, I think. I know they've got a lot of backs there too, but if he was the lead back in that situation, knowing what they do with that offense, that would be pretty fun. Um, but I, I don't really see many scenarios where you would ever choose Gordon over Mitchell from a dynasty standpoint. Yeah, my, my gut tells me that Gordon's going to end up back in Denver and that Gordon is going to get 40% of those touches and frustrate us. I hope that's not true. When I when I saw this comparison, Mitchell versus Gordon, you know, it's it's clear that it's always Mitchell at, at this point in their careers. Then I kind of thought maybe maybe the comparison is Elijah Mitchell coming off his rookie season and Gordon coming off of his. When oh, okay. you know, remember back to Gordon as a rookie, he was pretty disappointing. And and Mitchell really, really came out of the blocks hot and played so well as a rookie. So, you know, I'm not really sure what we're what we're supposed to do with this one exactly. <laughs> um, you know, maybe it's Melvin Gordon if he ends up in San Francisco. What does that do to Elijah Mitchell? Either way, um, I think it's probably time to move on to the next one. Uh, I think we got time for two more. Let's try to get both of them in. This one from Laxatives Murray, Matt. Uh, it's kind of interesting because you and I t- mentioned uh, that he's that Marlon Mack, he signed in Houston this week. So not worthy of talking about in our startup, but certainly something worth mentioning. He's only 26 years old, two years removed from the Achilles injury. And Laxative Murray asks, Houston has so many other spots to address. Isn't it possible they they don't take another back? What are your thoughts here, Matt? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, he might even be, is he on the waiver wire in some leagues? I, I don't Mostly, a lot leagues. of leagues, I would say. Yeah, so I mean, I think he's worth a pickup. I don't think I'm paying anything for him, but based on what's on, based on what's on the roster right now, you know, Burkhead. I know he had a game or two last season. Ogunbowale. I don't think he's anything. Royce Freeman. Uh, I don't think David Johnson has resigned there, has he? So I think he's out of the picture. So if they don't go get someone, and we we saw Cam Akers, you know, come back or even even sooner than Marlon Mack did. Marlon Mack had, of course, had Jonathan Taylor in front of him, so he was certainly wasn't going to play in front of him, even if he was a hundred percent healthy and never tore tore that Achilles. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's going to be a bad offense. It's going to be rough week to week. It's probably going to be one of those situations where if you get a touchdown from them, then you're happy. And if you don't, then you're, you're probably not, but for free or, you know, even like a late third round pick or early fourth round pick, if your league goes that deep, sure. I don't mind taking a flyer on Marlon Mack. Yeah, I'm with you. He should be on a roster in any league with at least 22 roster spots. You know, as a, I like those flyers, those guys that you can get for free. And even if you get two or three starts out of them or, or a hot stretch for a few weeks in a season, those guys pay off and they can, they can really catapult a team through a rough stretch and, and, and help, help qualify a team for the playoffs. So Marlon Mack is at least a guy that should be on your radar. Final question, final thing we're going to do on the show today. This is a fun one for us to cover. Ryan Dutt at rdutt24 on Twitter asks, how much is A.J. Dillon worth in a trade? Oh, if you want to talk about draft picks, I think it, I think a late first is, is, is probably the sweet spot for him. I don't know if the team who has Dylan necessarily wants to give him up for that. That's probably what I would offer for him, Dan. I mean, I don't, I don't think a second is, is doing it. And I'm not, and I'm not paying like we just saw uh, a Mixon get traded for the 104 in our Mixon discussion. So I don't think he's worth that much. 110 to 112, if, if you really want to put a finer point on it, I think it would probably be about the max I would pay. Yeah, I like that as a value. What what are your thoughts on trying to go get him? Is is he a guy that you would target if you're looking for that that second or even third running back to put in your starting lineup on a contender? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, especially if you need a running. I mean, you have, you'd have to consider who else you can get there. I mean, if you want a younger guy, I think Dylan is in play. Obviously, if you want. You know, I, I mean, everybody hates Ezekiel Elliott now, but maybe I'd rather spend the 112 on Ezekiel Elliott, depending on the state of my team. There's not going to, I mean, maybe, maybe Isaiah Spiller is, has enough hate piled on him that he's going to be there in a rookie draft. You'd rather go that direction. But, uh, you know, it, it really, this question really depends on on what else you can get for that pick. But I certainly don't mind go getting A.J. Dillon, even as you're, as you're running back too, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't have any problems with that either. He He's cemented himself into that role where he's going to get 10, 10 plus touches in a game. He caught a few passes in his second year in green Bay. And now with the lack of outside weapons, there's, there's probably a narrative to be spun that Dylan's role could even increase even without an Aaron Jones injury or, and, and something like that, a Jones injury could catapult Dylan to, to RB one type status. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and even if he if Jones doesn't get hurt, if they decide to use Jones more as a receiver because of the dearth of receiving weapons there, unless they go out and get a couple more in the draft. Um, but even then, you know, we know the strength that that Aaron Jones shows in the passing game. So if they elected him to use more in that role, uh, then Dylan would 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 value would skyrocket. And if Jones got hurt, I mean, we could be talking about him as a like a top five running back, honestly, in, in next year's startup drafts. I was not a big A.J. Dillon fan coming out of Boston College. And even when he got drafted by the Packers, that wasn't enough to make me invest in him in the second round. But after his rookie season, I got him in a handful of my dynasty leagues. And I'm happy now. I, you know, with him as my RB2, RB3 flex guy, I'm thrilled. Um, but even if you have to plug him in as your second running back every single week, I think you're going to be just fine in 2022. 
Um, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the DLF Dynasty podcast. Make sure to follow Matt at Matt Price FF. I'm at DMiler22. You can follow Ryan as well at RyanMC23. Follow the pod at DLF Podcast. Get those questions in. Tell us about your trades. If we talked about something that you don't agree with, uh, like a couple of those listeners that that <laughs> mentioned my Malik Willis stance, uh, be sure to bring it up and we'll we'll, uh, we'll address it maybe on a future episode of the pod. For Matt, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. We'll catch you again next Thank week. you for listening to the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.